0: How many of you think you're a pretty good fighter? Zach, no, you're not. Manny Pacquiao, how many? My wife raised her hand. She's a good arguer. I'll give her that. That is is one tough cookie. If you honk your horn at someone and he gets out of the car, leave quickly. He is considered by many as the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world today. He's the only guy ever, now listen, who, who held, has held eight different weight classification titles. He's been the world champion in eight different divisions. He's held the title in four divisions at the same time. If you don't know much about boxing, that means he is really, really, really good, and he can lose weight and gain weight and stuff too. He is a great, great fighter. Did you know this? He is a Christian too. He is a born-again Christian. That's who we need on our deacon body, amen? So you're not tithing. We send Manny to your house to come see you. 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to talk about fighting, but we're going to, we're going to talk about it uh, from a, a Christian perspective. And it really is important. really is important things. Uh, because this first thing, life's wonderful, but it's a fight. How many of you agree with that? I don't think I really got that until I was about 23. 3 or 24 that life is really great but life can be hard verse 1 through 5 read along with me in your Bible or on the screen by the meekness and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you I Paul who am timid when face to face with you but bold when away you can tell there's a little tension right there can't you I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war, fight as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's go back to verse 3. Can you go back to verse 3 on the screens? For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The word war, war there literally means a military campaign or warfare. Paul's using language that would have been very common to the Greek people. It's not uncommon to us. He's talking about someone in a battle or leading a battle, leading a military campaign. And he talks about tearing down strongholds, literally a stronghold, a literal stronghold was a fort or a castle that needed to be brought down. When you invaded a place, when you, <clears throat> when you took over a country, Uh, You had to tear down those strongholds to get into or to conquer that company or that place. And also a stronghold can be a figurative stronghold. And that's kind of more what we're talking about tonight. A place where the devil, uh, the enemy has got uh, uh, set up where he's tearing you down, where he's bringing destruction into your life and into your world. And Christian, let me tell you, First Baptist, let me tell you, And those of you listening all over the world by Internet, let me tell you, Satan is trying to destroy us. Do you know that? Did did you know this? And many of you, you got enough gray hairs. Some of you don't have hair. You're old enough to know this. Satan hates the church. Did you know that? Now, listen, if you don't know this, you are a vulnerable, vulnerable person. We live in the world, he says. We are a flesh. But we're dealing with people who operate in the flesh. The sinful flesh is what he means there. And and all of it or behind it is Satan trying to destroy your life, your family, our church. Paul was being attacked in multiple ways here. Paul's defending himself, basically. His character was being under attack. Your character ever been attacked? It's real fun. That's what was happening to Paul. His character was being attacked. They were attacking the church in Corinth. They were, there were false teachers coming in, Judaizers, professional Jewish speakers who were coming in trying to bring people back to Judaism. And false teaching was already arising up. These were the things he was fighting. And, and Paul knew that we are in a battle. We are in a battle for, for lost people's souls. We are in ba- a battle. Listen, you're in a battle for your marriage, you're in a battle for your kids. We're in a battle to keep our church alive and thriving. We're in a battle in our country. We're in a battle to try to take the gospel all over the world, and Satan's fighting it tooth and nail. And and believe me, I've said it before, he is a very good devil. He's very good at what devils do is what I mean by that. How does Satan operate? Well, he operates directly. He operates through mean folks. He operates through folks that don't know that he's being, they're being used by him. Sometimes he uses you. Sometimes he uses me. But make no mistake about it, and I'm not trying to be some kind of fear monger, but we all are under the attack of the devil. That's the truth. We're in a battle. Close your eyes and ignore it and pay the price. But we are. So here's the the big point tonight. How do Christians fight? If we are in a spiritual battle, we are in a battle, how do we fight? You know, physically, the truth is a lot of people don't know how to fight. I mentioned Zach earlier. One time he and I were boxing, and after a few minutes, I said, Zach, you just hit like a girl. Every man knows what that means is that Zach's kind of feminine, right? Kind of sissy. I'm teasing him. And by the way, I know several girls who have black belts and who hit very hard, so that's not really a good illustration to say someone hits like a girl. But do you know know how to fight? And what are the rules of the the engagement? If you keep up at all with, with, uh, with different types of sports, in boxing, there are certain rules. In wrestling, I'm not talking about TV wrestling, like Olympic wrestling, there are certain kinds of rules. And MMA, mixed martial arts, they have certain kinds of rules. And as a Christian, we have rules of engagement of how God expects us to do warfare. Now, this this is important for two reasons. One is your Christian witness is at stake on how you deal with difficult things. And two, these are the ways that you win the battle. Did you get that? If you fight God's way, you're a good representative to his name. Many of us fail there. If you fight God's way, that's how you win the battles too. How do we fight God's way? Here's the first thing. Not like a non-Christian. We start with a negative. How do we fight? Well, here's one way we know we don't fight. We don't fight like people who do not have the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. He uses the word world or flesh twice here in this one verse in two different ways. The world meaning one thing, the, the physical world we live in. We live in the world. We live in a physical world. But then he also uses the word world or flesh in a negative sense. And that as an opposite of Jesus Christ, the world opposite and opposing Jesus Christ, the sinful world. And he says, listen. If you're a Christian, the wrong way to fight and the unsuccessful way to protect yourself, your family, your church, your reputation, your name is to try to fight the way that the world fights. It represents God poorly and it's ineffective. How does the world fight? Verse 4 and 5, listen to what he says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. World, Again, they're meaning the lost world opposed to God. On the contrary... Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. He uses the words arguments and pretensions in these verses. And one of the common things that people in Paul's day did is they were argumentative. When he says arguments and pretensions, he's really, he's talking about intellectual reasoning and reflecting that's against the gospel, that's against Jesus Christ, that's opposed and opposite of the word of God is what he's talking about there. Do you get that? It's a mindset that is against Jesus and the word of God, intentionally or unintentionally. The Greek people, and Corinth was a Greek city, they love to argue. You know, no one like that, do you? They love to debate. Listen, this is all over our world, isn't it? Turn on the news and watch. One of the common things in news now is they'll get five people and have a, a round table and argue. <laughs> what they're doing here is they're giving their opinions, they're arguing, and they're reasoning. One of the common things in Paul's day was called the sophistic method. Sophistry, we get our English word sophistry from this. It it means a subtle, tricky, superficial way of of reasoning that sounds good but that's not true. Did you get that? That's pretty complex. But think about a a lot of the shady politicians. Think about this. Sophistry. Subtle, tricky, superficially plausible, but it's not true. Here's how the people in Corinth dealt with their issues. They wanted to argue. They wanted to debate. They wanted to get in your face. That's not changed, has it? People today, you and me sometimes when we're not on our game for God, We want to win an argument more than we want to win a soul, don't we? We want to prove that we are right and you're going to do what I tell you to do. It's a win at all cost mentality. It's the end justifies the means. You know what that that says is it doesn't matter how we get there. The goal is good. If we have to lie, cheat, and steal, we'll do it to get there. Sometimes it's the end justifies the meanness. (laughs) We can walk all over people as long as the end result is good. Listen, that's the way of the devil. That's the way of the devil. Uber competitive. I've got to win. I've got to dominate. I've got to have my way, and you've got to lose, and I've got to win. That's the way of the world. Any of this sound familiar? And what God's telling them and telling you and me, you're in a battle. You're going to do it with individuals. You're going to do it with groups. Don't fight the way the world fights. One way you can tell a lost person for a saved person is when things get tough how they behave. Don't fight the way the world fights. It'll appear on the front end you're losing, but you don't lose when you do things God's way. Don't fight the way the world fights. Here's the second thing with this. We fight from a sweet and strong spirit. You remember back before you were a Christian, it was more important that you won, that you dominated, you got your way. You didn't care how you did it a lot of times. Christians fight from a strong and sweet spirit. We face things with a different attitude. In verse 1 and 2, But the meekness, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. The Greek people looked on meekness as weakness. I'm timid when I'm to your face, bold behind your back. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some of you who live by the standards of the world. What is meekness? It's humility. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. This is very important. A meek person is someone who can knock your head off but who smiles and doesn't. A a picture of meekness is a a big horse that is powerful and strong but that you can put a little child on it and it'll take that, that kid and let it ride it safely. That's what meekness is. Gentleness is patience, and it's long-suffering. One Bible scholar defined this as a sweet reasonableness. Have you ever been trying to do business, or you've been debating with someone who was of the world? (laughs) Just me, okay, too, Dorman. Sweet reasonableness does not define them a lot of times, does it? What God says is, I want there to be a meekness, a gentleness, and a sweet reasonableness about you. So many Christians, goodness gracious, how many church meetings, thank God, not here, but we've all heard of them or we've seen them in the past, in church meetings where Christians act like buffoons. Sweet reasonableness is what he says here. Strong convictions of what's right and what's wrong but a gentle, meek spirit. I love something I have it written on my desk. When it gets tough, be two things. Be very kind and very clear. Do you get that? Be very kind and very clear. You see, some of us are so clear, we break the glass out. We're going to make sure there's no dirty bath water, so we throw the bathwater and the baby out of the tub. Be kind, but be clear is what God says. Let there be a sweet gentleness about you. How do you face the things that you face as a Christian? How do you do battle? You don't do it as the world does. You you begin with a sweet and gentle spirit. Now, here's the next thing. We use spiritual weapons. We use spiritual weapons in our fight. In verse 4... The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power. Isn't that great? You see, when, when you weren't a Christian, I wasn't a Christian. We fought with bicep power, with bully power. And God says, no, that, you know, that's the way the world fights. But you've got the resources to, defy, to fight with divine power, which demolishes strongholds. Think with me about a spiritual battle. You remember when the Jewish people entered the Promised Land, and the first place they came to was Jericho, the the ancient walled city. When Cindy and I were lucky enough to go there because of the church last November, we saw the Jordan River, and right across you can see the city of Jericho, and it's pretty phenomenal thinking about what happened there. You remember how the Jewish people took that evil city? They dropped an A-bomb on them, didn't they? It was six days of hand grenades, and no, it was really weird. They walked around the city once and went and camped out. <laughs> six days in a row, they walk around the city, not saying a word. I'm sure being cussed, screamed at, spit on, everything else. The seventh day, they walk around the city seven times, and then they blow their horns, and, and then the wall falls, and they take the city completely and perfectly. That's a... Spiritual battle fought in a spiritual way. Amen? That's God doing his work. If you have your Bibles, you might flip to this real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in it just for a moment. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and mighty in his mighty power. Here we go. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Devil attacks you, your family, your world. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand, okay? This is just a sister passage. We're in a battle, The battle ultimately is against the devil. It's against the devil's angels. It's against the forces of evil. So he's telling us that we can't fight it the way the world fights it. We have to fight it with spiritual weapons. And he lays out in this wonderful passage spiritual weapons. Verse 14, stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Leave that there, Brian, for just a second. Okay, he, he, these are spiritual weapons he's laying out. The first one is your belt. How many of you men have a belt on? I'd like to say if I took my belt off, my pants would fall, but I haven't lost enough weight for that to be true yet. But a belt is important, correct? Correct. And it's, it's interesting, it's the first thing that he mentions, truth, the truth of God, the objective truth of God is your belt. It keeps your britches up. You can't fight sagging. You older people, I'll explain that after church, what that means. A Roman soldier didn't want to go to, in a battle and his kilt fall off mid-battle. The belt kept your pants up. It allowed you to stay in the fight. You've got to have the truth of God poured on you and in you. That's what keeps your britches up. I don't know why it was listed first, but it was listed first for a reason. And then the breastplate of righteousness. A Roman soldier had a breastplate. What does your breastplate protect? A bunch of pretty important stuff like your heart, like your lungs, like your... Liver, one of these sides, your liver. It it protects your stomach. It it protects a lot of things. Righteousness means righteous living. It means that you have a right relationship with God and that you're living for God. Listen, you need truth to keep your riches up. You need righteous life and righteous living to protect you in, in, in the most basic ways. Verse 15. And with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, for years, I never understood what that was saying. Here's what that's saying. When a Roman soldier went into battle, oftentimes their sandals had cleats on them. Did y'all know that? Did any of you know that? See, you came to church tonight and you, Heather, did you know that? Or were you scratching your nose? Okay. Okay, we got a picture of a pair of baseball cleats. Teddy Allen wore those in 1942. When he was playing uh, in the southern league, you see th- those those spikes there help a, a, they help everything that a baseball player' is trying to do they they, they keep give you sure footing, especially if the ground is a little bit wet. The Roman soldier had spikes on his shoes, so he goes into battle and, and you know they 're not fighting on turf artificial turf they 're fighting in mud they 're fighting on very uneven ground they 're fighting in fields and so he needed that sure footing and he says let's go back to the verse again with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace man as a Christian you've got the gospel Jesus Christ died arose he's your Lord and Savior you have that that gives you again a firm foundation a firm footing verse 16 in addition to all this take up the shield of faith which extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one you know can you imagine being shot by an arrow? Wouldn't that be terrible? In Roman times, as well as, you know, if you've ever watched any Cowboy and Indians movie, they would shoot fiery arrows. Did you know that? And in the Roman times, they, they shot literally fiery darts. Can you imagine being hit by an arrow, period, how that would feel, but hit by an arrow with, that was on fire? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? He says, that's what the shield was for. It it protected you from some really dangerous things. Folks, your faith in God, your trust in God, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Your faith in God, your trust in God protects you. It protects you. This doesn't make sense. Nobody's following. Nobody's doing this but me. Where are my friends? Where are my my family? I'm out on this thing alone. No, you're not. Man, you trust God, and it protects you. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. I don't know why this was first, but I wasn't asked when they put this in the Bible. I was not consulted. But your helmet protects your what? Some of you have small brains. I understand that. It's a joke. Just see if you're paying attention. Your helmet's important, isn't it? You can can take a pretty good shot to the chest with with certain things, but much happens to your head. You're out. You're gone. Are you trying to fight the battle without Christ as your Savior? Your salvation is your helmet. It's your helmet. It's it's your protection. And and then he says, And and with the, the the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hold it there just for a second. The sword, man, to the the Roman soldier, before you had a gun, a sword's a pretty important piece of uh, weaponry, isn't it? Now, here's something you may not realize. The sword was a protector, too. The sword was something you could protect yourself with, as well as being an offensive weapon. How many of you know the Bible? Don't raise your hand very well. How many, if you're in a pickle, can quote Scripture? Well, I know it's in there somewhere. Baptists don't dance. Yeah, where is that? uh, It ain't in there. God says, "Men know the Bible. Pour it all over you. Know it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Because it protects you and it's also an aggressive weapon. How can you know when someone's lying and not telling the truth? Uh, They're they're saying things that are from Satan. Well, you've got to know what the truth says to be able to know that. And lastly, he says, pray, prayer, prayer in the spirit in all kinds of occasions. So here's my next weapon. My next weapon is I have a life dominated by prayer. I pray, man, I have a prayer time in the morning. I pray throughout the day. I pray when I'm in trouble. I pray when things are going good. I pray and I pray and I pray. Listen, most Christians, you start talking about prayer, they go, yeah, we know about prayer. We just don't do it. It's kind of like soul winning. That's really a good thing. It's just not for us. Friend, if you don't pray a lot, your walk with Christ is not very strong. So he says, these are the weapons we use. These are the weapons we fight with. These are the weapons. When you pour loving kindness on that, these are the weapons that we use to win in the battles that we're fighting for us and our family. He gives us two other thoughts, and and they go right with this. The, The next one is this. Keep your mind Christ-centered, okay? You're using the weapons of God. You have a loving and humble spirit, and you're focusing on your mind because the mind is your battlefield a lot of times. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul lived in a world where there were millions of slaves, from about the year 200 B.C. To, uh, to this time, the Romans had conquered so many peoples. And one of the things they would do, if they didn't kill people, they would bring them in and they would sell them as slaves. Slaves were everywhere. A slave was a captive. They understood what a slave was. And he said, look, the devil's going to fight you in your mind. The devil's going to go after your head. That's why you need to know the Word of God. That's why you need to be taking it in. You need to have the truth buckled around you to keep your britches up. That's figuratively And and you need to protect your thought life. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the, read that, by the renewing of what? Of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Ephesians 4, 23 says to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Friend, I don't know who said this, but it's so true. You can change your life by changing your thoughts. You can change your life by changing your thoughts. You need to get your mind God-saturated, God-centered, pray, prayer field. You need to protect your mind because that's where Satan's going to hit you so much. That's where discouragement, depression, doubts, all that comes from, okay? Protect your mind. And lastly, you need to continue to be obedient to God. How do we win the battles? Total obedience is the last thing. Verse 6. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. Wouldn't that be neat if I read that at a business meeting? And next week, we will be ready to punish the acts of disobedience of you here in the church. We'd either have a full house or an empty house, wouldn't we? Once your obedience is complete. Folks, in any kind of warfare, any kind of sports... Good coaches, good good people who understand warfare are looking for a weakness. They're looking for a weakness. They're looking for a chink in your armor. They're looking for something where they can beat you, whether it's a boxer, football, whatever it is. They're going to try to find out where you're weak, and then they're going to attack you. The Satan's doing the same thing. Let me tell you, your weakest point, that's where you're being disobedient to God tonight. Well, I just look at a little pornography. Well, I just take a little money from work I shouldn't. I'm just a little dishonest. I just cheat on my wife or my husband when they're mean to me. You know what? That is a huge sin chink in your armor, and you're giving the devil a bullseye. God says obey him. How do we win? How do we win the battles? We live our lives in obedience to Christ. We we, we live obediently. I've heard my, my whole life, there's, there's no substitute for hard work. I believe that. There's no substitute for a good attitude. I believe that. But I want to tell you, there's no substitute for obedience. I've tried it as a young Christian. Well, if, if I just do this more, it's okay if I'm not doing this. That's not true. It's just absolutely not true. How do we win the battle? We get our lives, our minds, our lives under the submission to Christ. We live obediently. And we fight it God's way. This evening, you're a Christian. Some of you are getting beat up. Things are hard for you. When we stand, would you come and let us pray for you tonight? Maybe you'd like to come and just pray at the altar. You come. But every believer here needs to take serious what God says and make a choice to do life and to do warfare God's way. You'd like to join the church? We'd love for you to. You need a church. And when we stand, you can come and join us tonight. And if you're not a Christian, you're fighting a battle without a helmet, and you're going to lose. You need to come this evening and seal that deal with Christ. Let's stand. God leads you. You come. We'll be waiting on you.